With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. good boys and girls two for the podcast today is wednesday it is the 8th of november weather update the sun was shining and it was actually quite nice here earlier on and now the misty pissy rain has settled in so my mood has plummeted now it's my own fault in part because i'm late in the day doing this but you know such is life i could have been reporting to you that there was good weather and you would have thought oh there's nice weather in ireland no No, there isn't. Never. 
absolutely an abomination. If anyone has some suggestions on what country I could move to where it is just nice weather, and by nice, I don't mean uber hot. I don't want to go and live on the surface of the sun again, like in Australia. Uh, but somewhere where it's just like a nice temperate climate all year round, and I don't have to deal with this abomination all year round, that would be great. So suggestions, please. Anyway, today is Wednesday, which means it's Nostalgia Day. We will do the Champions League and all that stuff after the break. We're going to jump into the nostalgia part, and we're going to move away from recent weeks of tournaments, and we're going to focus on a club. Today's club have had two real golden periods in their history. One was in the 1940s. That's a bit too too early for me. But the other was the late 90s and early to mid 2000s. And we're going to focus on that. And the club in our crosshairs today are Valencia. Now, in recent years, things have been very, very difficult for Valencia. The ownership of Peter Lim has been nothing short of a disaster. They currently sit eighth in La Liga, which isn't bad. Last season, they finished 16th. The season before, 9th. The season before that, 13th. In 1920, they were 9th. In 1819, they did finish 4th. But it has been all downhill from there. That 4th place finish was off the back of another fourth place finish. Before that, they were 12th. Before that, they were 12th. And before that, they were fourth. So they had three fourths and two twelfths in a five-year span, which is bizarre. And since then, they've just been a complete catastrophe. Now, there are some things we can laugh at. The Gary Neville spell in charge was obviously one of the more disastrous managerial stints that anyone has had back in the 15-16 season when Gary oversaw 28 games, 10 wins and 7 draws to his credit, but 11 defeats, a 35.71% win record, 39 goals scored, 38 conceded. So it's not as bad as people make it out to be. It's not like he lost every single game. It's not like they were a disaster. But when things went bad, because he didn't speak the language, he had no way to fix them. And when he started to lose the players, he had no way to get them back on side because he couldn't communicate with them. Now, everybody remembers them getting absolutely pumped by by Barcelona, 7-0. And the white towels and all the rest came out. But funny enough, he actually survived for like seven weeks after that hammering. But, but... All of that falls on Peter Lim, who has done a disgraceful job since buying the club. He bought into the club in 2014. And since then, they had three decent seasons of finishing fourth. And all the rest has been mid-table. Now, In his defense, it's not really a defense of him. It's more to give a bit more context. He bought a club that financially was in the sewer. If you 
just take a look at the issue with the stadium. They've been playing at the Mestaya for, what, 100 years now? I think it's 100 years this year that they've been playing at the Mestaya. They were meant to be out of that stadium many, many years ago. They were building the new Mestaya. And this stadium was initially begun in 2007. They broke ground. They poured the basic concrete structure. And they worked on it for about 18 months. This was to be the best stadium in Spain. 80,000 modern, all the best amenities, all the best facilities. And then they hit financial trouble as a result of the global crash. And the plans for the stadium continued to change over and over and over again. The last real update we had was in December of 2021, 14 years after they broke ground. And that was news that the new project, they were going to use the same concrete bowl that had already been poured, but they were going to build a stadium that was maybe in the mid-40,000s. Now, the current stadium holds just under 50,000. So the 80,000 was always going to be a stretch for them to fill it week in and week out. Real and Barca will fill an 80,000-seater stadium every single game. And even, to be fair, even Barcelona don't all the time. Real do for the most part. But Valencia were going to struggle to finish or to fill that stadium week in and week out. But the reason they thought they were going to be able to was because of the run that they were on up until the announcement of this stadium. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Valencia from the 1998 season, 1998-99, all the way through to 07-08. So we're looking at 10 years here. 10 years of consistent success is a bit of a stretch. But for their level, for them, I think consistent success is probably fair. Because for Valencia, a club that have been up and down throughout their history, I think getting top four is a successful season. Coming into this run, they had won four La Liga titles in 1942, 1944, 1947, and 1971. They'd won two Secunda divisions in 1931 and 1987. They had won the Copa del Rey eight times, 1941, 1949, 1954, 1967, and 1979. They have also won it in 2019. They'd won the European Cup Winners' Cup in 1980. They'd won the Super Cup in 1980. They won the Intercity Fairs Cup twice in the 60s, back-to-back years, 62 and 63. And they would begin this run by winning the Intertoto Cup in 1998. So we'll start in 98-99. They're managed by Claudio Ranieri. He had taken over in September of 97 when Jorge Valdano was, was fired. And 
he had overseen a ninth place finish and nothing of note. In his first full season, they finished fourth and they won the Copa del Rey. They had some outstanding players in this squad. Santiago Canizares, long time recognized as one of the better goalkeepers in the world. They had Juanfran, not the right back that played for Atleti, the left back. You had Gaika Mendieta, one of my favorite midfielders from that era. You had Claudio Lopez, who's one of my favorite players from that era. He's a wonderful player, and we'll talk more about him. You had Stefan Schwartz, Adrian Illy, Joachim Bjorklund. You had Jocelyn Anglema. This is a really, a really solid base of a squad. Not a squad set up to win just yet, but the base of something. They brought in Canizares, Bjorklund, Schwartz, uh, Cristiano Lucarelli, Gabriel Popescu. All of them had arrived in that year. Ariel Ortega had been sold to Sampdoria. Musa Saib had been sold to Tottenham. Player, I don't remember. A whole, I don't remember him at Spurs. Um, they'd moved on David Albelda, who I think would kind of come back to haunt them that they moved him on. But this was the base of a squad that would go on to have real success. And if we look at the, the league that year, they do finish fourth. They're only three points off second. Now, Barcelona won the league at a canter, 11 points clear of everybody else. Real 68, Mallorca 66, and then Valencia on 65. It's a pretty pretty tasty battle for second all the way through to seventh. There's only eight points separating. There's actually nine, only eight, sorry, only eight points separating second through to eighth in the league. Celta Vigo, Deportivo, Espanol, and Athletic Bilbao all hitting over 60 points. So very, very competitive league at the time. As I mentioned, they did win the Copa del Rey. They knocked out Levante. Then they knocked out Barcelona over two legs. They destroyed Real Madrid in the first leg of the semi-final, 6-0, which was an amazing result. They lost the second leg 2-1, but advanced to the final, and they beat Atletico Madrid 3-0. So to knock out Barca, Real, and Atleti, I, I think you can say they were deserving winners. They had been in the UEFA Cup that year as a result of uh, winning the Intertoto Cup, and they went out to Liverpool in the second round, a nil-nil draw at Anfield, followed by a 2-2 draw at the Mestalla. Uh Claudio Lopez had put them 1-0 up. They were 1-0 up till the 80th minute. McManaman scored, then Berger scored. Liverpool were 2-1 up. Lopez scored again, but too little too late. And out they went. In terms of regular players, Mendieta, Canizares, <clears throat> Farinos, he was a really good player. Farinos was a really good player. Uh, Luis Mia played regularly and Gulu played regularly. Claudio Lopez was their primary goal scorer. Adrian Illy was 
really good in that team. Like, really, really good in that team. Having joined from Galatasaray, he really did find his feet. Never a huge goal scorer, but as a foil for for Lopez, he was absolutely perfect. He was all you could really ask for. Lopez scored 32 goals in 42 games that year, 21 in 32 in the league. The only other player that I just wanted to mention who always gets overlooked when we talk about, you know, the great fullbacks, but was someone who was exceptionally consistent for his entire career, who'd come through at Arezzo, had loans with Fiorentina and Barry, gone to Empoli, gone to Parma, been at Sampdoria before really, really establishing himself as a high-end player with uh, with Roma was Amadeo, Amadeo Carboni. Now, he was 32 when he joined Valencia, and there was sort of a feeling that he's a squad player for Valencia. At that age, he's not going to play a regular part. He would stay at Valencia until 2006, when he was 39 years of age. He played 245 games. And he was just always a consistent nine, sorry, maybe not a nine, an eight out of ten defensively. You weren't asking him to do anything going forward. He was just a really, really good defender. And even as he aged, he was just so clever. He just read the game really well. And he had success with Sam. He had some success with Roma winning a Coppa Italia. He'd won the Cupiners Cup in the Coppa Italia with Sampdoria. But at Valencia was where he really made his name, where he sort of had this Indian summer to his career. And people really appreciated him in the time. But I feel like in recent years, he just doesn't get mentioned anymore. So I wanted to bring him up. We'll come back to Claudio Lopez, but we'll move on to 99-2000. There's a change in the dugout. So you would have thought that having had a successful season like he did, that Claudio Ranieri would like to build on that. But no, he jumped ship and went to Atletico Madrid. A decision that I think he probably regretted when he was fired in the March of that season, the 99-2000 season. Um, He obviously would then go on to Chelsea, back to Valencia, so he'll feature again. And he's been a journeyman from, for, he's been a journeyman his entire career, but very much so since then. His greatest success is obviously Leicester City and what he achieved there. He's currently manager of Cagliari, and to his credit, he's doing quite a good job. But he's had a lot of failures. For a guy who's as highly regarded as he is, he's had a lot of failures and not huge amounts of success. He's won Serie C. He's won Serie B. He's been promoted out of Serie B a couple of times. He won a Coppa Italia. He won a Coppa del Rey this past season that we've just talked about. He would win the second division in France with Monaco. And that was it until he won the Premier League. Like, for a guy who'd been in the game since 86, to go nigh on 30 years with only two cups, despite the high-end jobs he'd had, Napoli, Fiorentina, Valencia, 
Atleti, Chelsea, Valencia, Parma, Juve, Roma, Inter, Monaco, to have never won a league title and then win one with Leicester is just the most bizarre thing that I think any manager has ever done. Uh, Moving on, though, to the 99-2000 season, and he is replaced by Hector Cooper. I loved Hector Cooper. He was just no bullshit, no fluff. His team was hard-nosed, really gritty, played some good football, but he just had this edge to him where he just didn't put up with any kind of nonsense. Um, Funnily enough, Hector Cooper should have been Hector Cooper. His great-grandfather was an Englishman who migrated to Argentina and then changed his surname to a more local-sounding surname. Hector Cooper had been doing a really good job at Mallorca. He finished third with Mallorca in this previous season, having done well with Huracan and with Lanos. He'd come to Europe, done well with Mallorca, and he gets a big job. Valencia is a big job. as a step up for him. And he goes into the transfer market. He brings in Juan Sanchez, Maurizio Pellegrino, who would come to Liverpool eventually, but obviously was so vital for for Valencia for a long time. He brings in Kili Gonzalez, Gerard Lopez, who's another one we'll touch on. But I think he might have brought him back. He might have been there and been out on loan, but he came into the squad and into the team under under Cooper. He sells off uh, Stefan Schwartz. He sells off Juan Fran, decides they're not for him, and he gets cracking on crafting a really good team that unfortunately he wouldn't have the great success with, but others would have it after him. So that year they finished third in the league. Deportivo La Coruña win the title. We're going to do them at some point as well. But Valencia finished third, 64 points, five off the top. Outstanding defensive team. Now, this is La Liga, so there's nobody getting through a season back then, conceding 20 goals. But they had the second best defensive record in the league that year. And they were pretty potent going forward as well. They started the season badly. They lost their first four before finding form. And then they ended the season really strongly. Only two defeats from February on. Those were away to Depor, who won the league, and away to Barca, who finished second. Everybody else, they managed to get get a result with. They went out of the Copa del Rey in the uh, quarterfinals. But in the Champions League, which they'd qualified for obviously the year before, they pulled off one of the big shocks of the era by reaching the final. So they had to qualify just to get into the group stage. Hapoel Haifa are the team that they drew in the qualifiers. And... They beat them 2-0 at home and 2-0 away. They got put into a group with Bayern Munich, Rangers, and PSV Eindhoven. Now, Bayern Munich, bear in mind, have just lost the final the year before to Manchester United. Rangers are spending money as if it's going out of fashion. And PSV would have had a pretty strong team at the time as well. 
So they start off, they beat Rangers 2-0. There's a Craig Moore own goal and Kelly Gonzalez scores. Then they go away for back-to-back games. They draw 1-1 with PSV Eindhoven. Uh, Claudio Lopez puts them one up. Ruud van Nistelrooy equalises from the penalty spot. Then they go to Bayern and they draw 1-1. Elber scored early, Giovanni Elber for Bayern. And and, uh, Gerard Lopez scores late for Valencia to equalise. In the return leg, or the return fixture, Illy scores in the 11th minute. Effenberg equalises from the penalty spot in the 18th minute and we get a 1-1. Then they go to Glasgow and they beat Rangers 2-1. Mendieta scores, Claudio Lopez scores and Craig Moore scores in the right net this time to get one back for Rangers, but they can't get back into the game. Valencia wrap up their group by beating PSV 1-0, Claudio Lopez again. They top the group 12 points from their six games, three points ahead of Bayern, Rangers drop into the UEFA Cup. Bayern advance with them. At this point, and we've talked about this before, there's two groups in the Champions League. For whatever reason, they decided this was the way forward. So in their second group, they're drawn with Manchester United, the defending European Cup holders, Fiorentina and Bordeaux. They beat Bordeaux 3-0. Farinos, Illy and Kili Gonzalez score. They lose 3-0 in Manchester. Roy Keane, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer and Paul, Paul Scholes get the goals. They lose 1-0 in Florence. Predrag Miatovic scores the only goal of the game. Then they beat Valencia 2-0 at the Mestalla, Illy and a late Mendieta penalty. They go to Bordeaux and beat them 4-1. Jukic, Mendieta, Kili Gonzalez and Juan Sanchez. And Sylvan Wiltord, uh, soon to be of Arsenal, scores the Bordeaux goal. And then they draw 0-0 at home with United. So they advance through that group in second place with 10 points. United topped the group with 13. In the quarterfinal, they draw Valencia, a tremendous Valencia team. They hammer them 5-2 at the Mestalla. Angulo scores. Gerard Lopez scores a hat-trick from midfield. And Claudio Lopez scores. Uh, Inzaghi and Marcelo Salas score for Lazio. They lose the away leg 1-0 through to a Juan Sebastian Veron goal, but it doesn't matter. They're through. In the semi-final, they hammer Barcelona at home. Angulo scores. He scores two, actually. Sorry, he scores two. Mendieta scores a penalty, and Claudio Lopez scores a late goal to make it four. Uh, Pellegrino had put through his own net, so that was why it was 4-1. In the second leg, Barca beat them at the new Camp. Frank De Boer and Koku scored. Mendieta had actually opened the scoring. So Valencia were 5-1 up in the tie with 15 minutes to go and breezed through. And then they get to the final and waiting for them is Real Madrid. The game took place at the Stade de France. 80,000 people in attendance. We had Stefano Brasci the Italian refereeing the game, always one of the more respected referees. Valencia lined up with Santiago Canizares in goal. You had Angloma at right back, Jukic and Pellegrino at centre back, Gerardo at left back, Farinos as the defensive midfielder, Gerard as the sort of central midfielder with license to get forward, Mendieta and Kili Gonzalez playing 
in the wider areas. Angulo and Claudio Lopez up front. Angulo probably shouldn't have started the game. They probably should have started Illy. It would have given them more of an opportunity, I think. But Angulo was a really hard-working player. A, a player who would run and run and run and occupy defenders. And I assume the thought process was he might create openings for Claudio Lopez. Uh, on the bench, you've got Joachim Bjorklund, you've got uh, Luis Mia, you've got um, Adrian Illy, Juan Sanchez. In Sanchez, rather. In the Real team, you've got Casillas, you've got Helguera, Carranca, and Campo as a back three. Salgado and Roberto Carlos as wingbacks. Steve McManaman and the great Fernando Redondo in central midfield. And then Raul playing just off Morientes and Anelka. Uh, Bodo Wilgner, Fernando Hierro, Manolo Sanchez, Savi, Savio, uh, Jeremy, uh, Christian Carambu, and Elver Balcic on the bench. Real would win the game 3 0. Morientes scored first. McManaman scored second. And Raul wrapped it up. But that doesn't really tell the tale. Real deserved to win. And I watched this game probably two years ago, maybe three years ago. Because uh, that, that, the first trio of Real Champions Leagues are really special. Um, largely because you see the evolution of the team. And this was the second one of them, obviously. They'd won it in 1998. Just the first, no, this was, this was the second one. This was definitely the second one. Was it 98 they won it? Honours, Continental. Yeah, 98, 2000, 2002. Uh, this is the first one where they were managed by Vicente Del Bosque. And he just tactically outdid Cooper on the day. Player for player, Real are slightly superior. But this isn't quite as good a team as they'd had in 98. It's not the Galacticals team that would come later. But you've still got world-class players like Carlos, like Redondo, like McManaman, like Raul. And obviously, Analka was, at the time, one of the best young forwards in the world. So unfortunately for Valencia, they were just beaten by a better team on the day. But for Valencia to get to a Champions League final was a massive achievement. In 2001... They finished fifth in the league. They went out of the Copa del Rey in the second round. A a late collapse in the league really cost them. They were going very, very well, heading for a third-place finish. And then all of a sudden, they lose three of four. They only win two of six. And then they only took four points from the last five games and they end up missing out on goal difference to Barcelona. That's the year that you'll you'll remember Rivaldo scores the incredible hat-trick on the last day of the season to secure Champions League football for Barca against Valencia. He scores first, Ruben Baraka scores, Rivaldo scores again, Baraka scores again, and then Rivaldo scores late on. And Barcelona sneak into the Champions League. <laughs> They'd spent a significant amount of money this year. Ruben Barak arrives. John Carew arrives. Didier Deschamps arrives. Zlatko Zdahovic, who you've heard me mention in recent weeks, 
arrives, Diego Alonso. Vicente arrives, Pablo Aymar arrives. But of all of them, the one that had the greatest impact on the club is Roberto Ayala, who arrived from AC Milan for about 5 million euro and would go on to have a great career with the club. They did also bring in Fabio Aurelio. He was a player whose career was plagued by injuries, but he was a good player nonetheless. Um, Outgoings, Farinos left off the back of that Champions League campaign. He got a big move to Inter Milan. Gerard left off the back of his big season. He ends up at Barcelona. Didn't quite work out for him. But the biggest blow was the sale of Claudio Lopez, who joined Lazio. Lazio were looking to remake their team and have another crack at winning the European Cup and, and winning another another Serie A title. It didn't work for him there either. There was something about the chemistry this group had at Valencia that when the players came out of that ecosystem, they just didn't settle as well. Lopez still played well for Lazio, and he had four years there. But the first season, he didn't score in the league. You know, he missed quite a few games through injuries. Second and third season, he did well, but he couldn't replicate what he'd done at Valencia. After that, he went back to South America. Well, he went to Mexico and then went to Argentina. But he was always a favourite of mine. Um, While missing out on top four was a big blow, there was a reason for it. They were distracted by something else. Now, they had to qualify again for the Champions League because they hadn't finished in one of the automatic spots. So they played Innsbruck. They drew nil-nil away, which was a bit of a shock of a result. But then they won 4-1 at home. Mendieta gets two and Diego Alonso gets two. Into the Champions League they go. They draw Leon. Leon are really good at this, at this point. Olympiacos and Heronveen. They top the group with 13 points, four wins, a draw and one defeat. They beat Olympiacos 2-1 at home. Beat Heronveen 1-0 away. Beat Leon 1-0 at home. Beat Leon 2-1 away. Then they lose in Greece to Olympiacos. Then they drew 1-1 with Heronveen, but they were through. They didn't need to worry about it. They were through after the first four games. Leon end up coming second, Olympiacos third, and Heronveen fourth. Again, they get into a second group stage. Again, they draw Manchester United, but this time United are on the slide a little bit. United have aged a little bit. Certain players need replacing. Ferguson is maybe a little bit distracted by certain other things that have gone on off the pitch with certain players um, and with his own fallings out with people. They beat Sturmgratz 2-0. They draw with Panic and Ithos away. They draw away with United 0 Sorry, at home with United 0-0. Then they draw in Manchester 1-0, 1-0, Andy Cole scores United. Wes Brown with an own goal gives Valencia a point. Then they hammered Sturmgratz and then they beat Panic and Ithos at home. And they land themselves top of that group, 12 points from their six games. Level on points with United, same goal scored, but one less goal conceded, so they topped the group. And as a result of topping the group, they draw Arsenal. And Arsenal at this stage are obviously very good. Arsenal would win would win the Premier League this season, did they? Did, did Arsenal win the Premier League or did United win the Premier League this season? I think United might have won the league this season. 
But United weren't as good. That was the the main point of it. Um, either way, they go to Highbury. They go 1-0 up through Ayala. Henri scores. Ray Parler scores. So it is advantage Arsenal. But they've got that away goal. They come home and they beat Arsenal 1-0. John Carew with the only goal of the game. And they go through on aggregate. Next up was Leeds. David O'Leary's Leeds. Champions League semi-finalists. A 0-0 draw at Elland Road. And then a 3-0 Valencia win at the Mestalla. Two from Sanchez, one from Endieta, And through to the final they go, where they face Bayern Munich. Obviously, Bayern had lost the final in 99. Valencia lost the final in 2000. Valencia had finished above Bayern in the group the year before. Bayern are three-time winners and three-time losers. And Bayern haven't won the European Cup at this point since 1976. They'd lost the final in 82. They'd lost the final to to Aston Villa. They'd lost the final in 87 to Porto. And they'd lost in 99 to United. Santiago, Camazares, Anglima, Ayala, Pellegrini, sorry, Pellegrino, Carboni, Baraja, Mendieta, Hilly Gonzalez, Pablo Weimar. Just consider that midfield for a second. Baraja is the defensive midfielder. Mendieta and Gonzalez going box to box. Gonzalez playing narrower than he was used to because he was an out-and-out left winger when he first arrived. But his powerful running in that more central area was really important. And we saw it replicated a few years later when Carlo Ancelotti used... Angel Di Maria, a very similar player in that role, left side of a diamond midfield. And then Imar is a little genius playmaker in the number 10 spot. Sanchez and Carew up front. This team is better in midfield. Even with losing Gerard and Farinos, this team is better in midfield than the previous year. Defensively, they're better. They've upgraded at left back with Carboni into the back into the team. He missed the previous year's final through injury. And Ayala, who was a huge upgrade at centre-back. They're not as good up front because they don't have Claudio Lopez. But they've got a really strong bench, including Deschamps, including Zahovic, including Fabio Aurelio. But this Bayern team is very strong. Oliver Kahn in goal, Kufair, Patrick Anderson, Thomas Linke as the back three, Willy Sanyol and Byzante Lazarazu as the wing-backs. Owen Hargreaves, a young Owen Hargreaves, and Stefan Effenberg as a double pivot. Mehmet Scholl behind Has- Mehmet Scholl and Hassan Sa- ha- Sally Hamasic as sort of dual number 10s behind Giovanni Elber. The big change here is they're more of a playmaking team than the year they lost to United. Even though they've lost Mario Basler, they've got more creativity in the team. They're not as reliant on the direct ball to Karsten Yanker. The Yanker's on the bench, as is Alexander Zickler, Roque Santa Cruz, Paolo Sergio, Siriaco Sforza, Michael Tarnat, and Bernd Dreyer, which sounds like something you put your clothes in. This wasn't a classic final. It was played at the San Siro. Bayern largely dominated the game. Valencia had gone 1-0 up three minutes in 
through a Mendy at a penalty. They dominated the, the rest of the first half. They'd taken shots galore, couldn't break down Valencia. But then five minutes into the second half, they get a penalty and Stefan Effenberg steps up and scores. Bayern continued to have most of the play. There was a lot of ill-advised shots in this game. We get to extra time. No score through through 120. We go to penalties. And it is one of the great penalty shootouts that we've had. It is nerve-wracking all over the place. So up steps Paolo Sergio who you probably would have bet on to score. He misses. Mendieta scores. Salahamazic scores. Carew scores. Zickler scores. Up steps Zahovic. A renowned penalty taker. Very, very reliable from 12 yards. You'd have backed him to score. Ali Khan makes a great save. Up steps Patrick Anderson. He looks nervous. He misses. Valencia now have an opportunity to get back in the lead. The lead they squandered through the Zahovic miss. But Carboni misses. Again, Oliver Kahn makes a great save. Effenberg steps up. He's never missing. Never in a million years was he missing. Baraja wasn't missing either. Lazarazu steps up. He's always going to score. He's just got that calm, confident look on his face. He scores. Kili Gonzalez steps up, and it, one of two things is either going to happen. He's either going to score or he's going to kill Oliver Kahn with the power of the shot. And he scores. Thomas Linka steps up, and I didn't think he was going to score. I thought he would miss, but he scored. And then it became obvious that Bayern were about to win because Maurizio Pe- Pellegrino stepped up, and he just looked like he wanted to be anywhere else in the world. You'll find this penalty shootout on YouTube. And there's one that has the camera just pans round to Pellegrino's face and he's looking at Khan and Khan is staring a hole through him. And Pellegrino looks like he would rather be anywhere else in the world doing absolutely anything else. At that point, you knew it was over. And he misses and Byron win. And unfortunately for Valencia they have the ignominy of losing back-to-back European Cup finals, which doesn't happen very often, but it happened to them. We move on. The 2001-2002 season. Hector Cooper is gone. Inter Milan came and took him away. He's replaced by Rafa Benitez. Benitez inherits an outstanding squad that's large swaths of which have been to two European Cup finals, most of which have been to one. But he does lose Mendieta. He goes to Lazio. That didn't work out all that well either. He also sold sold Joachim Bjorklund. Didier Deschamps retired. Luis Mia retired. Slako Zahovic was basically booted out of the club because Rafa didn't want him. In the door comes Salva. Carlos Marchena, which was sort of a swap with Zahovic. Uh, David Navarro gets promoted. Uh, Rufete comes in from Malaga. 
Gonzalo de los Santos comes in from Malaga for pretty sizable money. And Mista is brought back off loan and Rafa would would quite fancy him. Um, they they haven't qualified for the Champions League this year because they were knocked out. Uh, they finished fifth the year before and they didn't win the Champions League in the previous season. So they're in the UEFA Cup and they go out in the quarterfinals to um, Inter Milan, 2-1 on aggregate. In the Copa del Rey, they got to the quarterfinal. Sorry, the Copa del Rey, they went out in the first round. Their top goal scorer this year scored seven goals in the league. Their top league goal scorer scored seven goals. Rafa took Ruben Baraka, who had played as a defensive midfielder, and he made him a box-to-box midfielder and gave him more freedom. And the most amazing thing about him being the top scorer with seven goals, and he started 15 games in the league. He missed half the season through injury. But the goals were just shared around. But the reason they could share the goals around and it didn't hurt them is because they were unbelievably good defensively. They only scored 51 goals in the league that season. And if we look at the league table, Real Betis scored less, Alaves scored less, and Malaga scored less, but nobody else in the top half of the league scored less goals. But nobody in the league conceded less goals. They only conceded 27 goals. Betis had the second best defence on 34. There was an enormous gulf between what Benitez did and what everybody else did defensively. They win 21 of the 38 games, draw 12 of them, only five defeats, and they win the league with 75 points. Now, a lot of people have said Rafa broke up the dominance of Barca and Real, and that's just not true because Deportivo Lacaruña did it. But what Rafa accomplished in this season was really, really special. Because they had a bit of a a slow start. They were eighth after 17 games. They only won five of their first 16 games. And there was talk that Benitez's job could be under threat because they'd gone out of the UEFA Cup, they'd gone out of the Copa del Rey. They were draw specialists. Now, they only lost two of the first uh, first 16 games. But then they found their form and they just started to grind out wins. Win after win after win. They lost to Real. They lost to Valladolid. Then they won three in a row. They drew at Celta. They drew at Villarreal. Then they won three in a row. They lost to Rayo Vallecano. They won three in a row. They drew at Mallorca. They won four in a row. And in truth, they cruised to the title, winning it by seven points. Ahead of Deportivo La Coruña, Real Madrid were third and Barcelona were fourth. So we have our first major piece of silverware after two heartbreaking Champions League finals. One, they were beaten quite comprehensively, but it was who beat them that really hurt them. The second one, losing on a penalty shootout is just a horrible way to lose. Uh, We go into the 2002-2003 season. Uh, again, Rafa has made a few changes, uh, bringing in Revelaire, bringing Dorothy, 
Adrian Illy leaves, Salva leaves, Anglima leaves. But it doesn't really matter to Rafa because he doesn't get attached to players. Now, he, this was a poor season for them. They started well. And things were going very well. This was like the inverse of the previous season. They were third after 23 games and in a good position to maybe have an attack at winning the league. And then things fell apart for them. And they lost 10 of their last 15 games. Which, for Benitez's team, is unusual for them to lose 10 of 15. But the inability to score goals was a real issue for them this year. Carew was their top scorer with eight. Aymar also got eight. Mista got seven. Baraka got five. Fabio Aurelio scored eight. He's a left back. Mostly set pieces. But it's one thing to do it one season where nobody scores more than eight goals, seven goals in the league. To try and do the second year, teams start to figure you out. Teams start to realize you're not actually all that good going forward. Um, they came through the first group stage of the Champions League in good fashion. 16 points from their six games. Beat Liverpool, beat Spartak, beat Basel, drew away to Basel, beat Liverpool at Anfield, and then beat Spartak Moscow. Um, Liverpool were just so disappointing that year. Uh in the second group stage, they again topped their group. They drew at home to Ajax, drew away to Arsenal, beat Roma in Rome, lost to Roma in Valencia, drew away to Ajax and then beat Arsenal at home to not just top the group, but to actually get through. Because if Arsenal had won that game, Arsenal would have gone through and Valencia would have gone out. So they got on to the quarterfinals and they faced Internazionale Milan. Now, obviously, Inter had 18 months beforehand taken away Hector Cooper, who'd done such a good job. Unfortunately for Cooper, the time at Milan did not, at Inter Milan did not go as well. But, but he did ingrain certain things into Milan, into in, Inter. I keep calling them Milan. Into Inter. And he did manage to get this win. He was sacked six months later. But he did manage to beat Valencia and get one over on them. And even though Rafa had won the league, this was his little his little victory. He didn't win the league. He didn't win the Champions League there. Rafa had. People had said Rafa was better than him. Rafa was better than him. But he managed to beat, get the better of Rafa. And send Valencia to a season of nothing. Out in the second round of the Copa del Rey, fifth in La Liga, runner-up in the Super Cup, and out in the Champions League quarter-finals. 3 Ricardo Oliveri arrives, Jorge Lopez arrives, Momo Sissoko arrives, Cisco is brought back off alone, Raul Albiol who would become obviously a very well-known player, gets promoted out of the B team. John Crew is loaned out. Kili Gonzalez is sold. Uh, Salva is loaned out. Jukic is let go. The players he brought in the previous season, Revelier and Dorothy, they, they both leave. 
and Giovanni De Los Santos, who was one of his first uh, signings, is gone. Uh, this season, Valencia figured out how to score goals. Mister got 19 in the league, 24 in all competitions. Vicente got 12 in the league, 15 in all competitions. Oliveira got eight in the league, nine in all competitions. Baraja got eight in the league, 13 in all competitions. And they were an actual threat going forward. And they were threat who were deep. So in the Copa del Rey, they get to the quarterfinal and lose to Real Madrid, 5-1 in aggregate. It doesn't really matter to them. Because in the other two competitions that they're playing in, they are outstanding. They would win La Liga with 77 points, five points clear of Barca. Scored 71 goals, second most in the division. Conceded 27, best in the division. And literally wall to wall, they were just a better team. They went went top after match week five. They had a, a bit of a spell in second, but they climbed back to top in week 32. And they had the title wrapped up with two games to go. They lost their last two games uh, because they were resting players for the UEFA Cup, which they had committed to an all-out assault on. So they beat AIK AIK Gothenburg. AIK are not from IFK Gothenburg. AIK are from Stockholm. I think they're from Stockholm. Um, they are from Stockholm. They beat them 2-0 on uh, aggregate, 1-0 away, 1-0 at home. Then they draw Maccabee Haifa. They draw 0-0 at home and things look a bit sketchy, but then they go to play Haifa in their away game. The game has to be played in Rotterdam because it can't be played in Israel because there's tension. And they win 4-0. Mr. Braha, Albelda and Angula with the goals. Um they drew Besiktas. They beat them 3-2 at home. Besiktas with two away goals. Probably felt confident going into the second leg. Valencia went there and won 2-0. Then they played a Turkish team that I can't say. And they won 1-0. Sorry, they lost 1-0 away. But then they beat them 2-0 at home. Mista and Vicente. They drew Bordeaux in the quarterfinals. Beat them 2-1 away. Baraja and Rafeti with the goals. Uh, Riera. It's Albert Riera, who people will remember from Liverpool, who is now currently the manager of Bordeaux, getting the uh, opening goal of that game. Then they beat them 2-1 away. Sorry, they beat them 2-1 away. Then they beat them 2-1 at home. Um, Pellegrino and Ruffetti with the goals in that one. So it was on to a semi-final against Juan Roman Raquelme's Villarreal. They drew 0-0 at the Madrigal and then scraped by 1-0 at the Mestalla, with Mister scoring the only goal of the game from the penalty spot. That put them in a final with Didier Drogba and Marseille. Marseille had knocked out Liverpool. Uh, Vicente scored the opener from the penalty spot, and Mister made it two. And Valencia win not only La Liga, but also the UEFA Cup in what is a very, very impressive double, considering they don't have the biggest squad. Benitez is working on quite a tight budget at this point. Like, they've sold 
in the years we've discussed, a bunch of players and not spent huge amounts to replace them, especially under Benitez, who lost Mendieta. And probably in the three years that we've covered of Benitez, probably hasn't spent as much as Mendieta fetched. So, you know, tells you what a good job he was doing. Uh, Kuro Torres was outstanding for them at right back. Ayala, Marchena had developed the centre-back pairing. Uh, Pellegrino was sort of the rotation op- option for them. Uh, Albiol would would get some games um, sort of late in the season. Um, Carboni at left back, so that's rock solid. In midfield, you've got Jorge Lopez, you've got Albelda, you've got Barajan, you've got Vicente, and then Mista and Oliveira. That's sort of the starting eleven. but Imar's playing regularly, Rafete plays regularly, Pellegrino plays regularly regularly, Angulo plays regularly, Sissoko and Garrido play regularly. What Rafa did really well was he sort of split his team up. He had a league team and a UEFA Cup team until the semi-finals. And then he merged them together and they went on to win both trophies. So very, very impressive. And that season earned Rafa a move to Liverpool. And he was replaced at Valencia by the returning tail between his legs, Claudio Ranieri, who had been sacked by Chelsea after being sacked by Atletico Madrid. Um, He'd done okay at Chelsea in his defence, but he was sacked by Valencia in February. He was replaced by Antonio Lopez, and this is a bit of a nothing season. They do win the European Super Cup, so there is some silverware. They beat Porto who'd won the Champions League, but Jose Mourinho had left. Jose Mourinho had left and moved to England to join Chelsea, funnily enough. Um, They finished seventh in the league and they qualify not for the Champions League, not for the UEFA Cup, but for the Intertoto Cup third round. So joy of joys. Uh, In the Champions League itself, they had finished third in their group. They were drawn with Anderlecht, Werder Bremen and Inter. They finished third. They dropped into the UEFA Cup and Steaua Bucharest uh, knocked them out. And all things considered, it was a very disappointing season. In 05-06, they have a new manager, Kike Sanchez-Flores. They have some new players. Hugo Viana has arrived at the club, one of the more highly regarded young players in Europe who'd had a failed move to Newcastle, had joined on loan part of the way through the previous season and done fairly well, was then signed and did not do well. Patrick Clivert had joined. But the most notable name coming in the door is David Villa, who had come in from Real Saragossa was very, very highly thought of from his time with Sporting Gijon and um, and Saragossa and would just be a ridiculous goal machine for Valencia. Like, you look at his record and it's fairly staggering, 130 goals in 225 games. Considering the era, like now people would look at that and go, oh, it's not bad, it's not great. But then that was phenomenal. Um He was one of the first signings that Kiko Sanchez-Flores made. And 
it was an inspired signing. Uh, you also had Edu Gaspar, currently the sporting director of Arsenal. He arrived from Arsenal that year. Pablo Hernandez, who would go on to play for a number of clubs, but notably Leeds uh, in the Premier League for a long, well, in the Championship and then the Premier League. Uh, he he was promoted out of the academy as well. So this year they finished third in the league. 69 points, 13 off top. That is prime Ronaldinho era Barca though. Barca also won the Champions League that year. So it's a pretty good Barcelona team. Real, we're a little bit in between. It is the Beckham era Real, but they're a little bit in between where they want to be. In the Copa del Rey, they get to the final. No, sorry, they don't. They get knocked out in the quarterfinal. In the Intertoto Cup, they got knocked, They lost the final to Hamburg. Um, no European football for them that year then. No real European football. 06-07, Kike Sanchez-Flores is still there. They once again finish in the top four, getting fourth this time. Uh, but they're well off the pace in terms of potentially winning the competition. What they do add is they add some really interesting players. They add David Silva from their academy. He had gone on loan to Ibar and then Celta Vigo, and it was seen as this is the year when he's actually ready. This is the season where he's going to make a real difference for us. Um, Another notable addition to the squad, though short-lived, was Stefano Fiore. Um, he'd come in under Benitez, but not really gotten... No, he'd come in under Ranieri after Benitez, but not really gotten any opportunities. He got a couple and was just binned off, really. Uh, it was decided that he wasn't made for that league. He was, he was past his best at that point. He was looking for a payday, I assume. But uh, always an interesting player. The big, I suppose, the big notable arrival. You've got Silva, you've got Villa. At this point, David Silva would be 20, turning 21 soon. And David Villa was 25. So what do you do when you have two of the best, young, promising Spanish players? You sign another one. They added Joaquin from Real Betis. Massive money at the time seen as a player that can potentially help them go up a level from third, potentially become a title challenger. So they did try and sign Simao, but couldn't get that done. They tried to move a couple of other pieces around, including a near sale of Roberto Ayala, who at this point was starting to decline quite quite a bit with his size once his physical gifts went, he was going to struggle. Uh, Pablo Weimar is out the door. So he has gone to Real Saragossa. Clivert has left. He's gone to PSV. Carboni has retired. Aurelio has gone to Liverpool. Uh, Jose Enrique, who would also play for Liverpool eventually, he had left. Not that he'd ever really played uh, much part of anything. He'd come in under Ranieri and was just binned off pretty much straight away. Um, Asir Del Horno came to the club as well. He'd come through the academy at Bilbao, gone to Chelsea for pretty big money, 
he was very, very highly regarded. Didn't do well at Chelsea, but Valencia brought him back. And, you know, whatever happened at Chelsea really, really hurt his career. At 21, 22, 23, he really did look like he was going to be one of the better fullbacks in world football. But whatever happened at Chelsea, his confidence went. And once his confidence went, he had problems with injuries. And his time at Valencia was just wrecked by injuries. Uh, he would have a loan back to Bilbao. He would go to Valladolid on loan. He would go to Levante on loan. He would play one season with Levante. And he retired at the age of 31. Like He broke into the Spanish team in 04. Won 10 caps in his first 15 months in the squad. And then never got capped again. Which is really odd. And he scored twice as well. Um, yeah, this was a really promising Valencia team. And it was a team I think they thought was capable of challenging at the highest level. But unfortunately for them, it wasn't. They finished fourth. Champions League quarterfinals, though, was was a pretty good outcome for them that year. And they got to the round of 16 in the Copa del Rey. Um, last season then that we're going to do is the 07-08 season. And it's a bit of a mess of a season, but it ends in silverware, which is why we'll we'll tack it on. So Kike Sanchez-Flores has finished top four in back-to-back seasons, but this season starts really poorly for them. And he is fired on the 27th of October. Oscar Fernandez takes over as caretaker for a, a week, and then he's replaced by Ronald Koeman. Now, Koeman has done a decent job as a manager to this point. Um, he had won two league titles with Ajax. He'd gone to Benfica. It hadn't gone all that well. He'd gone to PSV and he'd won another league title. And then he ends up at Valencia. Now, he does have some success in that they win the Copa del Rey. They beat Real Union, Real Betis, Atletico Madrid and Barcelona. And then they get to the final and they play Hitafe. And that game takes place on the 16th of April. And they win the final 3-1. He's sacked on the 21st of April. Five days after winning a trophy, Ronald Koeman is sacked as Valencia manager, which might seem harsh, but then you look at 34 games in charge, 11 wins, 9 draws, 14 defeats, a minus 9 goal differential and a 32.35 win rate. That's that's going to get you sacked. Um, they'd gone out of the Champions League in the group stage. They finished bottom of a group with Chelsea, Schalke and Rosenberg. That's a little bit unacceptable. Top scorer on the season was, of course, David Villa. Joaquin was really good. Silva was really good. There's no way to look at it other than it's a, a significant underperformance. Um, you've also got Ivan Helguera has come into the club. You've got a young Juan Mata starting to make his way, make his name. Like, that's a fun team. But unfortunately, 
it didn't translate on the pitch. Mata, Silva, Villa, Braja, Albelda, Marchena, Helguero, Helguero rather, Ever Benaga is also at the club that year. Timo Hildebrandt arrives. He should have been really good. Joaquin is obviously still there. It, that's a really good squad. It it lacks a little bit in terms of fullbacks, but in midfield it's strong. In central defence it's strong. Goalkeepers aren't bad. Benega, he was so exciting when they got him. He come through at Boca Juniors, obviously, and they'd had Fernando Gago. And Gago was seen as the next Redondo. And Real Madrid snapped him up very early. Now, obviously, he didn't have the career that he was expected to have, uh, but would go back to Boca eventually and, and do pretty well. Never quite figured it all out in Europe. The pace of the game seemed to be a little bit too much for him. When he left, Everbenega was the guy that replaced him in the Boca team. And after one season, he got a big money move to Valencia. And was just an idiot, really. Didn't settle straight away, caused a bunch of trouble, got kind of ran over by a car at one point, which was all a bit weird, um, would eventually settle down and come back into the fold and be a bit better after a loan spell with Atletico Madrid. But then he would cause problems again. He just never quite figured it all out. He was, he's one of the most enjoyable players to watch of the last 20 years or so. And he still had a good career. He still won, you know, three UEFA Cups, Copa del Rey with with Valencia and this season we're doing. He'd won the Libertadores with Boca in his last season there. But he didn't achieve anywhere close to what he should have achieved in the game. He had so much talent as a midfield playmaker. In that deep role or as a 10, he could be an absolute genius but he just never figured out how to get out of his own way. He's currently playing for Al-Shabaab in the Saudi Pro League. Not even one of the big four. But it is what it is. So, yeah, I mean, Valencia. Two league titles. Two Copa del Reyes. A UEFA Cup, two European Cup finals, European Super Cup, an Intertoto Cup. It's a really good 10-year run. And it makes it hard to see where they are now and how much they've struggled and the financial problems that they're in. Like You can see off the back of that why they thought, we can go for it now. We're, we've won a couple of titles. We've been to the European Cup final. If we can get more money in, if we can generate more money, maybe we really can take the next step up and not be Real or Barca, but maybe be Atleti. And unfortunately, the crash came at the worst time for them. The financial crash comes. The house of cards that they were just came tumbling down. Their financial discrepancies were revealed to the world and they're lucky to still be in business. Now, Peter Lim is a dreadful owner. He might be the worst owner in football. 
And that club really needs to be out of his hands and into somebody else's hands. But at least when their fans are pissed off about that kind of stuff, they can look back on the Cooper years, on the Benitez years, and even on those years with Kike Sanchez-Flores, they finished in the top four. And some of the players that they had in that era, Claudio Lopez, Kili Gonzalez, Pablo Weimar, Roberto Ayala, Ruben Baraka, David Silva, David, David Villa, Juan Mata, Joaquin. Like, that's some incredible talent to come through the doors in a 10-year span. And hopefully at some point they get themselves back in a situation where they can A, keep their best academy players and not sell them off as young as they've had to, and B, be able to afford to go out and buy some of the more exciting young players around Spain and around Europe. Because Valencia were a club that were always fun. And they had a lot of really good players over the years and good managers. They played a good brand of football and their stadium is cool. The name is cool. The Mestalla just sounds cool. The kits are among the best in Europe, I think. I think the white shirt with the black shorts and socks is a great look. The all orange third kit as well. I mean, you can't go wrong really with that. It's the Dutch colors. Um, their badge is cool. Like they're a club that have that sort of it factor. Unfortunately, Peter Lim brings the shit factor, and until he's gone, there's not much hope. There isn't much hope. The academy, which has produced so many talented players, Albiol, Farinos, Albelda, Mendieta, Silva, Mata, Alba, Isco. Well, now, Alba's a bit of an issue, if he won, because he'd been in the in the La Messia and then he joined them. Um, but they count him. Um, Juan Bernat, Jose Gaia, Carlos Soler, Ferran Torres, Lee Kang-In. Eunice Moose is another interesting one because he was in the Arsenal Academy, but he was in the Valencia Academy for a couple of years. Like, But all those players are gone. Eunice Moussa, Lee Kang-In, Ferran Torres, they should all still be at the club. There's no reason for them not to be, other than they've been so financially mismanaged. Now, Lee Kanging is has is meant to think quite highly of himself, as does Ferran Torres. But that's got to be something connected to the academy. Like it's very unusual for young players, especially someone like like Torres, who at the time was 20, to demand to be made captain of the club. Like that's odd. Eunice Moussa's 20, 20 years of age. They should still have him. He shouldn't have been able to get to a year left in his contract and then force his way out the door. But this is Peter Lim's Valencia, and it's just, it's tough. It's tough to watch. As any football fan, or as a fan of any football club, it's tough to watch a great club, or be fair, any club, go through this type of shit. It really is. Uh, right, I have rambled enough on this. I will be back after this break. Right, welcome back. So, um, we had Champions League action last night. So, we'll have a look at that and then we'll look at what we've got tonight. So, in Group D, no, sorry, Group E last night, uh, Atletico Madrid 6, Celtic nil. yet another embarrassment for Brendan Rodgers the worst manager in the history of the Champions League. Uh, two for Griezmann, two for Morata, one for Lino and one for Saul. 
Celtic are bottom of the group, abysmal. Uh, Lazio also beat Feyenoord 1-0 with a Chiro Immobile goal just on the stroke of half-time. So as things stand, it is Atleti top, Lazio second, Feyenoord third, but three two points separating the three teams. Uh, Celtic are dead and buried. They have no points and are unlikely to get any from the remaining couple of games. They might get one point. They might get one point if they're lucky. Uh, Group F. Borussia Dortmund 2, Newcastle 0. Nicholas Fulkrug and Julian Brand with the only, with, with the goals for the Germans. Newcastle just de- decimated by injuries. They didn't look good at all last night. Uh, Milan 2, Paris Saint-Germain 1. Big win for AC Milan. Especially having gone 1-0 down, Milan Skriniar opened the scoring. Raphael Leao and Oli Giroud with the goals for Milan. Dortmund are top, PSG second, Milan third, Newcastle fourth. Only three points between Dortmund and the Toon. Now, Dortmund do have the head-to-head advantage, so Toon need to finish a point of a point of head uh, a point ahead of Dortmund to finish above them. They can't finish at level on points, even with a better goal difference, and finish above them. Um I thought Newcastle were going to get through this group, especially when they went and they ha- when they when they hammered PSG. But losing both games to Dortmund is really poor for them. Now the injuries have hurt, but they've also looked a bit naive in a number of these games. Uh, Manchester City three, Red, uh, sorry, Young Boys nil. Um, I mean, City were always going to win this group comfortably, weren't they? Two for Haaland, loves the stat pad against the Dross, and one for Phil Foden. Haaland apparently had been injured and was it was a doubt for the game, and yet he starts. Like, Guardiola's full of shit. Um, Red Star Belgrade 1, Orby Leipzig 2. Xavi Simmons and Openda with the goals. Uh, Benjamin Henrik's own goal gave uh, Red Star some hope, but not enough hope. City are through. Leipzig are through. Red Star and Young Boys will battle it out for the Europa League. Uh, maybe one of them will finish with two points. And uh, and get through. Uh, group H then. Shakhtar won Barcelona nil. Game played in Hamburg. Sikan with the only goal of the game. Porto 2, Antwerp nil. Evan Ilsen and Pepe with the goals for the Portuguese side. Barca have nine points. Porto have nine points. Shakhtar have six points. Antwerp are gone. They have no points. They could still get into the Europa League, but it's very, very unlikely. Tonight, we have groups a to D in action. In Group A, it's Bayern against Galatasaray and Copenhagen against United. United have to win that game because I don't think they'll win in in Turkey and I think Bayern will beat them at Old Trafford. In Group B, Arsenal against Sevilla, PSV against Long. I, I think PSV hopefully will start to show a bit more of their domestic form in the Champions League because they've been garbage in the Champions League so far. And they've been brilliant in the Eredivisie. So I'm not really sure what's going on with them. But tonight I'd like to see them perform at a decent level. Uh, Arsenal should should advance fairly sim- simply. Like Sevilla are poor. Lens are poor. PSV have not played well in this competition. So you'd expect Arsenal to just run the slate and win their last three games. Uh, Group C, it is Napoli versus Union Berlin and Real Madrid versus Braga. Uh, Berlin have lost 12 in a row in all competitions. 
12 in a row in all competitions. They face Napoli tonight and Bayer Leverkusen, who are top of the league at the weekend. Um, that could be 14 games in a row. And then it's an international break. And would you be at all surprised if we hear there's a change in manager? I wouldn't be, but I would be disappointed because he's done an amazing job to get them to this point. From where they were when he took over to get them to this point is incredible. Um, I expect Napoli and, and Real Madrid to win there. Finally then, Group D, Real Sociedad take on Benfica, Red Bull Salzburg take on Inter Milan. Um, Benfica have been poor in this competition, so I expect Real Sociedad to beat them. Red Bull against Inter will be interesting because it's in Salzburg, but I still think Inter come out on top. So that is what we have tonight. Um, A Crystal Palace fan has been given a three-year ban from all football for racially abusing Youngmin's son. Robert Garland pleaded guilty to racially aggravated harassment in August after shouting and gesturing towards son in May. He was initially sentenced to 60 hours of unpaid work and fined £1,384, which is just such a weird amount. Um, However, Spurs and the Metropolitan Police appealed to the UK Footballing Policing Unit over the sentence. The Metropolitan Police, supported by the club, approached the UK Football Policing Unit to seek an appeal against the sentence, and as a direct result, the court have issued the supporter with a three-year football banning order. He should never be allowed in a game again. Like, I don't understand. This is not going to stop him being a racist. Like, 60 hours of, of community service. He could do three hours a week for 20 weeks. That's over. And it hasn't really impacted your life. The 1,384 quid, fair enough. I mean, that's that's a chunk of change. But a three-year banning order. Like, ban the guy for life. Never, ever allow him into a football stadium again. I'm not sure why that's so hard. He racially abused a player. He admitted it as well. Like, he openly admitted it. But what? Because he admitted it, he's meant to get a little bit of a reprieve. No. It's worse. It's worse that he admitted it. He knows he did wrong. But he's happy to go and do it. And the only reason he might be sorry about it is because he got caught. Do we know that that wasn't the first, like, he hadn't done it before? Was that the first time or the second time or the third time? Ban the guy for life. Robert Garland, you are a scumbag, my friend. Not my friend. (laughs) Not my friend. But you are a scumbag. Uh, Phil Neville has been appointed the head coach of Portland Timbers and says he wants to meet fans of the club after facing criticism for past controversial tweets about women. Before his appointment, a fan group said it was deeply disappointed that the club were linked with Neville after his history of sexist statements. Neville said sorry for his tweets in 2018 on becoming boss of England women. I want to get to know the Timbers army and I want them to get to know me, he said in his news conference. The big part of this city is the supporters and the statement they put out showed that this club cares about their people. Uh, Neville was obviously sacked by Inter Miami before Messi got there because if Messi had gotten there and seen him in charge, he'd have turned around and, and gone back to Europe. Um... He's been given a contract until 2026. I, I, I'll, I'll be fairly confident in saying he, he won't last till 2026 because he's just not a very good manager. 
In one tweet from 2011, Neville suggested women were too busy making breakfast and getting kids ready to read his messages. Yeah, I mean, it's more chauvinistic than sexist. It's, it's sexist as well, but it's chauvinistic as well. I, 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 I don't think there's any bad in Phil Neville, to be honest. I think he's just a little bit old-fashioned and has that sort of, you know, male-dominated globe mindset. Um, I think his brother's a little bit like that as well. I just think they're old-fashioned. I don't think there's any badness in them at all. Uh, on to the gossip. Bournemouth will turn down any approaches for Lloyd Kelly in January. Will they? Because he's had a contract in the summer. Now, he's been linked, according to this, with Tottenham, Liverpool, Newcastle and AC Milan. Um, I think he's got a great agent, to be honest. The agent of Anthony says his client will not be returning to his homeland in a, in a swap for Gabriel Barbosa. I think that was obvious to everybody. Arsenal would prefer to sign Ivan Tony next summer rather than in January. They'd also prefer if he didn't cost as much, I'd imagine. Uh, Manchester United are interested in Nice centre-back Jean-Claire Thibault as a replacement for Raphael Varane, who could be heading for Saudi Arabia. Italian giants Juventus are interested in a loan deal for Calvin Phillips, who looks set to leave Man City in January. That'd be a good move for him. Juventus sent their sporting director, Cristiano Gentoli, uh, formerly of, of Napoli, to watch... Pierre-Emile Hoysberg against Chelsea on Monday in preparation for potential move. Um, it's always funny to me to hear, to see stuff like that. Like, he didn't start. He was never going to start the game. So why on earth would you send someone to watch him? Like, I, I believe that they did because it's Mike McGrath. But I just don't understand why you'd send someone to watch a player who's not going to be starting. It just makes no sense to me. Thiago Alcantara is a target for both Juventus and Inter Milan. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Manuel Locatelli is set to sign a new deal with Juve until 2028. Liverpool and Chelsea are interested in signing Real Betis's 18-year-old Senegalese-born winger, Asana Diaw. I, I really hope Liverpool can land him. Chelsea and Manchester United will, for- will have to fork out 50 million euro if they want to sign Denzel Dumfries. That's outrageous. He is bang average. Chelsea have two better fullbacks than him. And I think I'd rather have Diogo Delo than him. As an overall fullback, I think I'd rather have Delo. If either of them pay that money, everybody involved should be fired. Barcelona are considering recalling Clement Langley. I don't think they are because I think they're just glad not to be paying his wages because they know he's not good. Now, Villa know he's not good as well. Spurs found out last season that he wasn't good. I told you three years ago he wasn't good. But, yeah, it is what it is. Arsenal, Fulham and Liverpool sent representatives to watch Fluminense midfielder. Uh, Andre in the Copa Libertadores final. Uh, he's going to go to Fulham. Uh, Spain defender Marcus Alonso was set to leave Barcelona for rivals Atletico Madrid. Is he? Oh, it's an exclusive by Jack Talbot who has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. So, you know, we put that one firmly in the bin. Right, folks, that'll do. I'll speak to you all tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.